It's the Trump Report, your weekly roundup of all the political news and current events. Yes, we really do have the best kafifi in one place. The Trump Report starts now. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. You know, that's really the problem with doing a weekly show is uh, I think it was actually late Tuesday night that uh, we were all subjected to Kofifi out there. And uh, we've had to sit on it for a whole week. Everybody's done all the jokes and everything. But uh, no, I wouldn't be stopped. Now we get to do a summary of the summary. Well, (laughs) exactly. And I'm just saying that uh, we talk about how great it is when stuff happens Tuesday afternoon or, or even Monday night. When something happens, something great happens on Tuesday, we really miss out. Welcome to the Trump Report. I'm Christian Blatt at Christian DMZ. Joined as always by Chelsea Galicia at Chelsea Galicia. Hi. And uh, Scott, what happened? You look a little different for those watching you know. on YouTube. It's our old pal Drexel Hurd at Drexel Hurd. Hello. Thank you for uh, running from Las Vegas. To the studio where you you both I assume just finished political <laughs> culture on BHL and then they're in here with us. God only knows what show you're doing after this because sleep. Uh, That's exactly what I'm doing. We get to watch him sleep. I, you know, just my eyes. We'll, we'll do an after show where we talk about Drexel's dreams. <laughs> I could do an after show on sleep. I I, I bet and not getting enough of it or just. How it's well a high priority for me. I, it, it's uh, it's a that's what I dream about. I can't. I don't have time to sleep. I just sleep. dream about being able to sleep. And by the way, at Trump Report ABTV, that's how you can find us. And uh, yes, you did hear Rage Against the Machine testify. We will talk I about. Just saw George Bush pop up in that video. Yeah, he, well, that's how old the video was, and that's what I was saying to Steve, our engineer in the booth, before we started. That video, the Rage Against the Machine video, is from 1999, and in it, you go, "Wow, W looked so young." And Al Gore was so thin. So it's very, very strange. <laughs> you can tell that that was from a long time ago. That's funny. Uh, anyway, so they, that was... Uh, 99. I think I was like a sophomore in high school. Oh, that sounds great. That must have been fun to be a sophomore <laughs> in high school back then. Right. I, was I, in the, I was in the workforce. I hadn't even started high school yet. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. They're, they're, they're old, older, oldest. <laughs> anyway... Uh, the testify that we're talking about, the testimony. There's going to be two Senate Intelligence Committee hearings this week. Tomorrow, which means we have to wait a week to talk about it, and then Thursday's the uh, the big one. But let's start off talking a little bit about tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, which means 7 our time, which means... If I value sleep, if you, I'm not going to If you value sleep, you're not going to be up to hear uh, Rod Rosenstein and others uh, talk about at this uh, National Security Agency hearing. And then Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern as well. Same Trump time, same Trump channel. <laughs> it's the main event. Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr and uh, Ranking Member Mark Warner, Democrat, they're trying to be, hey, this is a bipartisan hearing. And it's nice when people try and play pretend and things like that. Why pretend? Well, just because I don't trust anybody anymore. I mean, Mark Warner, I think, is like, oh, yeah, I'm really focused on this. I don't, I don't know enough about Richard Burr, but uh, I, I loved him on Perry Mason. I, 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 let me tell you, a full disclosure, I think we've talked about this before back in my, back in my non-Democrat days. <laughs> I actually, Which is, what, about 1999? <laughs> which, was, which was 2004 when Richard Burr got elected. Um, I was at his rally. I was at a, I was at a Burr rally. 
Oh, yeah. I did not know that. How, yeah, what made a you friend of mine. A friend of mine sent me. I, I was. I, I had just joined College Republicans at the time because I was a freshman in, in college, and uh, and Richard Burr was running for re- running for election. George Bush was obviously running for re-election. Um, so there was a whole um, like barbecue for Richard Burr in North Carolina at the time, and I went to this little barbecue. Was it like Richard a big turnout? I met him. Oh, yeah, it was a huge you, turnout. You know who else was there? Strom Thurmond. Wow. A blast from the past. I did. A, a sighting of Strom Thurmond in the 21st century. Not a lot of people can say that that yeah. happened to them. I'm pretty sure I was the only black person there. And it made it out alive. And by the way, story, yeah. if Strom Thurmond had known you were going to be there, probably he probably wouldn't have shown up. up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so your thoughts back then, at least, on uh, Richard Burr. you feel like he's a guy who is doing the right thing? And he's like, no, I really want this. We want to get to the bottom of it. Is he... Or is he just going to sort of be a uh, Reince Priebus puppet? I don't think that Richard Burr, based on what I've seen, obviously there are policies that he believes in that we just don't agree with. But I think from a practice, I think that he's one of those people that is like, well, if it falls in my lap, I'm just going to have to deal with it as it falls in my lap. But I'm not going to stand in its way. Like, he's not going to, he's not doing a, a Jason Chavitz or a or Jason Chaffetz, I'm sorry, or a, or a, who else, or a, Oh, even Lindsay. I think Richard Burr reminds me a little bit of Lindsey Graham. Okay, like yes, I'm on the president's side because I don't want the Republican Party to crumble. But at the same time, if it if if Trump goes down, it might not be a bad thing for the rest of us. So I just think he's just going to ride that line. And, and yeah, no, and I think I think that makes sense. Uh, and then obviously burying the lead, that hearing is the James Comey testimony. And Chelsea, what do you think we're going to hear? What do you hope we hear? Uh, I think we're going to hear confirmation of some of the things that we have heard. Like, I think he will be asked, did Trump ask you for loyalty? And he might say yes, or if Trump used a different word, like, can I can I count on you to be there for me if, if that's... Right. Did he, he, if he had said, are you my guy? Well, then it's like, well, what exactly does that mean? But, are you hitting on me? But they, uh, the, you know, so he, he will either testify to whatever was in the memo that he wrote himself or he'll turn the memo over itself. I'm surprised he hasn't done that already. And that the memos haven't been leaked yet. <laughs> well, I, I think it's going to have a, a, a better effect this way. But... Where I think people will be disappointed is the like most people I think are saying or thinking that James Comey is going to be used to prove obstruction of justice. Right. And obstruction of justice, the hardest part about it to prove is the intent, the mindset of the perpetrator, in this case, Trump. So accidentally obstructing justice is is not as serious of an offense. It's actually not an offense. Wow. And, and that's actually probably Trump's biggest defense is that he didn't know that firing somebody was and, obstructing justice. And that know, isn't it going to be easy why. to prove that he doesn't know what he's doing? I mean, is that going to be sort of an easy thing to do? Kind of, because he doesn't really know what well, he's doing. I mean, this that's how he may get away with it, really, which is why I know people are excited about this idea of bringing him down with this obstruction of justice thing, but I don't think it's going to happen. So what I think people are going to want Comey to answer are questions like, was Trump trying to do this? Was he thinking this? Or they may not come out and use the words, was Trump thinking? Because obviously no one can know what somebody (laughs) is thinking, so you'd have to decline to answer that question. But they're going to try and get at answers that are going to help 
prove Trump's mindset. And Comey's probably not going to go there. And Comey's probably also not going to go there in, like, how he felt. So questions might be, like, did you feel pressured? Did you feel that you needed to do this? Did you, uh, you know, feeling-based questions? Um, he's probably not going to answer. So I think there will be a couple of probably three or, like, yes answers that confirm, you know, Trump asked for loyalty, Trump said drop the investigation, and that's it. But we're not going to get anything more. And 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 just a couple things. Uh, R. Scott Brown, thank you for reminding me about Devin Nunez because I I was like, what is that? I could see his face. I just could not remember his name. <laughs> I'm sorry that you could see his face. I, I mean, I was like, who is this? By the way, we've established that Scott Brown is not the not, Massachusetts senator. Scott but I, Brown. but it would be cool if it was. But it's even cooler that R. Scott that, Brown is even, in the chat room right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but. I also, to go back to what your first thing about um, Trump being able to kind of get away with it because he's not as, not as. Like he just, he didn't know that he was obstructing right. justice because it, to obstruct justice, right. you have to know that the actions that you're taking are to impede an investigation. And General McMaster alluded to that in his testimony, which was people who, people might not know what they're getting themselves into. And by the time they're in it, they're already deep in it, and they've already c- crossed that line of, of of obstructing justice or committing treason or anything. Like they just don't know. Like if you, I mean, that came up with Jared Kushner. He probably hadn't. I mean, I mean, I, I would assume he's smart enough to know this, but like some people assumption. just generals. I mean, uh, uh, but I just mean like you know, tactically. Like how can I get around? Like I'm sure he's tried to figure out tactically how to get around it. But if you don't, to your point, if you don't know, then yeah, it's easy to be Arthur. like, I, you know, I, I just didn't know. But then at what point do we go, well, then you're unfit. Well, there's no you law, just apparently, to be unfit. I mean, there is the amendment where if um, enough of the cabinet members think that the president is unfit, that they can, I should look up which amendment that is. So right. 20, it, 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 I, 20, I, I know that there 25. is an amendment to that. Isn't that the maybe, one where they have to maybe sign? Maybe R. Scott Brown or someone else in the chat can yeah. tell us. But, yeah, and I think that uh, I wouldn't look to this cabinet for the kind of salvation Although, that you're hoping for. because of the problems that he's having with, like, Rick Tillerson and he are not seeing really eye to eye. Yeah. He and Jeff Sessions are not. Which we will talk about. Uh, buddy, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Jeff Sessions is probably not. Uh, if he were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, he would not want to be his phone a friend. Right. But well, what? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say on. we talked about on political culture about um, just in the um, just about an hour ago about um, if Jeff Sessions resigned, Trump would have nobody because Jeff Sessions is his line of defense right now. Not not even Rod Rose, not even any of these people, not even Mueller, Rosenstein, like these people are not line of defenses for him, but from a from a Muslim ban standpoint, from, from all of these like Department of Justice things, the buck stops with Jeff Sessions and he's his protector. But what Chelsea was saying earlier about the um uh, about um uh, the the loyalty conversation, I think there was an intelligence official that came out today that said that Trump asked him to intervene in stopping James Comey or like or it was he was asking James Comey or to stop James Comey or somehow impede the investigation and to get him to do that get an intelligence official to do that so right which we're going to see more of that leaking if you're not going to leak classified information like the person from the intercept uh, like reality winner 
Which we will also talk about. Yes. Then at least leak <laughs> conversations. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that, uh, you know, whatever there is that maybe doesn't get discussed in, in these hearings uh, during the testimony, we'll, if, there, if there is anything else to know, somebody will, of course, leak it somewhere. But I agree with Chelsea in that I think that people will hear some interesting things. It'll definitely confirm some assumptions. But if anybody thinks that there is a gun, much less a smoking one, that like this is what we need. We they people have Thursday circled as the day where really we can start drawing up, you know, papers for impeachment. Uh I think they're gonna be more than a little disappointed. I mean they're gonna be disappointed just like Twenty um, fifth amendment. Twenty fifth amendment, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yes. Um and our Scott Brown who's at it as well. Um but I think that that they're that Trump anti Trumpers will be just as disappointed in James Comey's testimony as anti-Hillary people right. were when James Comey... Because it, it's not going to vindicate their guy. Right. It's it's not going to be like, see, we told... Yeah, it, it, nobody's really going to be happy with it. I would think Democrats would be a little happier. But <laughs> uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's not like this is going to be the exoneration. Right. But uh, we'll see, and then we'll be able to talk about it next week. Uh on Tuesday, and will be so many days before we get to talk about it. But uh, I we think get to talk about everybody else talking about it. Yeah, well, this is where you come for the summary of the summaries. Well, right. and you know, Trump will have had you know quite a few days to tweet about whatever was said there. So you know, at least at least we can do a, a Twitter recap. And we do need to start <laughs> doing a segment, Drexel. I, I don't know if you know. But our friend uh, Scott Moore, he pretty much every day gets up and gets into Twitter arguments with Mitch McConnell and I believe also Donald Trump now. Interesting. It started, it was just Mitch McConnell. And uh, I've said that we're going to have to start like presenting some of those selections at the end the of Twitter each episode. Twitter segment. Yeah, just like, you know, who, who's Scott tweeting at now? And he's at S-Man 80 for anybody that wants to get a head start and read those. See, look at that, he's not even here and I promote his social media. Uh, well, anyway, we talked about Jeff Sessions. And uh, I guess the way to look at it, the way I summarize it, is that he does not seem to be the bell of the ball as he was before, according to the New York Times. President Trump has reportedly soured on Jeff Sessions, and he blames him for much of the uh, early woes of the White House because possibly he couldn't possibly uh, blame himself. But uh, he's especially concerned over the way that this Justice Department, which, just for everybody to know, is headed by Jeff Sessions, the way that it's handled the executive orders that have been intended to curb immigration and travel from several Muslim-majority countries, a.k.a. the Muslim ban. So the way that that's gone is apparently Jeff Sessions' fault. And I'm not saying that you know Jeff Sessions has, has helped it along, but I, I don't think that anybody in that job would have really been able to get those executive orders passed. My, my understanding is that he was upset that Jeff Sessions decided to drop the first travel ban and do a second one that was politically correct yes. and weaker. But didn't Trump decide to pull it down and sign a new one? Was that Look, Jeff he signs Sessions' a lot of things. signature on it? So what that if, what make, if it was, by That the doesn't way. make a lot of sense. Um, so I would like to blame Jeff Sessions for a lot of things, but that can't be one of them because that's just not reasonable. Then the other thing that I heard Trump was upset about was that uh, Sessions had recused himself from anything related to Russia. And there was, I mean, he, he had no choice. I mean, it shows me that he has a bit of a conscience more than Trump because the only right thing to do would have been to resign or at the very least recuse. He opted to recuse. 
and Trump apparently is livid about that. I, I mean, I guess he, he probably feels defenseless, and that's why he's so, he's so angry, because nobody in the Justice Department would go out on the limb for him the way that Jeff Sessions would, but Jeff Sessions can't do a dang thing. Which I also think there's a, there's a couple things on that, at least in my opinion, is Jeff Sessions has, has relationships with a lot of senators um, who, on some level, respect him, and I think that he wants to keep that respect level. On the other side, that's the same um, story that the New York Times put out was similar to the story that Donald Trump was upset or soured by General McMaster. And then within, so if you were looking at a pattern of Donald Trump, a story goes out that Donald Trump is upset with somebody. We all know that Maggie Haberman, that the direct line to any source that Maggie Haberman point, that puts out is Donald Trump. Like, he's the source. So if, if, if that is the story and she wrote that story, then yeah. That came from Donald Trump. He is absolutely pissed at Donald uh, at Jeff Sessions. He wants it out in the news. And he, he wants, wants people story. to know. And he, he wants, wants Jeff to Sessions know. to know. And he wants Jeff Sessions to find out that right. way. That way. Yeah. So then he trots. He trots. So that story comes out about General McMaster. The next two days. I don't know. Within the next week, General McMaster is out on the white on the White House lawn giving a press giving a press conference about something. And then defending everything. Like, I've never seen the NSA director as much as I have in these past few weeks as I had since General McMaster. And the story came out that Donald Trump was not happy with General McMaster. So it might, <coughs> I would not be surprised if we don't see Jeff Sessions in the next couple of weeks coming out and the Justice Department going full steam on a few things. As we saw on Friday, Justice Department is already asked the Supreme Court to look into the Muslim ban. So, like, there might be a couple of steps that Jeff Sessions is like, okay, well, maybe I should get back in his good graces. I don't know. And so I think that's going to be the pattern. Tom Trump puts out a story about a cabinet official. That cabinet official trots himself back out, gets back in Trump's good graces, and we're all good. And then it's going to be a pattern of a, an abusing site, a pattern for these cabinet officials. And eventually they're either going to resign or they're going to do something so outrageous that they're going to just have to step, you know, that they're going to have to let go. And you heard it here first, gang. <laughs> Jeff Sessions is going to come out. I hope he's happy with it. Anyway, <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, Trump has been talking about his travel ban for is in relations to the London terror attack uh, of on Saturday. And uh, this sort of came up conversationally earlier in this week with someone I know. And they're like, y you mean Manchester? I'm like, oh, no, no, there, there was one in London. And somebody pointed out on Twitter, and I, I always try to give credit, but I don't remember who it was, is that attack happened before they had had time to have the, the tribute concert that they put together to the Manchester attack. So that's how quickly we're getting these kind of attacks now. You know, you can't even properly honor the previous one beforehand. And I, I, I think that that's been very well covered, that particular attack, and in a moment, we'll talk about uh, President Trump's response. <laughs> the thing that I, and we've talked about this before when some of these have happened, uh, either on this show and or on Trump versus Hillary, it all kind of runs together. And basically, it's the same show, except Stephen Helmkamp was on one of them, but <laughs> not the other one. But I'm sure he's having a lot of fun. Uh, he seems to be traveling the world, so good for him. Yeah, it's just some, somebody who wanted Trump to be president. He sure has spent a lot of time out of the country. It's a joke, just in case he's watching, which I doubt he is. But anyway, so... Uh, so the thing when you hear the the terrible the reporting of these terrible attacks in London, you there's a often this thing where everyone's hesitant to call something terrorism right away, and I'm not quite sure who you're worried about upsetting, terrorists who you accidentally gave credit to, or 
you know, somebody who's not a terrorist well, and think, calling them. I think it alarms people. Yes. It scares the public more when you use the word terrorism. But if you feel pretty confident that that's what it is and that's what the indications but are, I, I don't know what you get from sitting on but it. But I also think there's two things, because, again, we talked about this briefly in, in political culture, which is we if we say the word terrorism just as Americans, Americans automatically think Muslims. Like that's their go-to, at least with under this administration, um, that is their go-to thought. And I think that Barack Obama was very careful about how he, the Obama administration is very careful about how they said it. Other world leaders are very careful about making statements using the word terrorism and, and figuring out who it is first. But we also have a problem in, <laughs> we also have a, they're <laughs> arguing about Hillary Clinton uh, in the chat room. Um, but there's, 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 there's also a, another side to that because here in America, we don't define um, uh, things like um, Oklahoma City and, and uh, uh, unless it's, uh, unless it, uh, any, any domestic terrorism situation by a white male Christian in America is not defined as terrorism. And so we have got to figure out how, if, if we're going to use terrorism for one group, then we're going to use terrorism, we're, then we're going to use terrorism for all the groups. Right, which and, is, is certainly where I come down on it. It's like, yeah, it's a terrorist. I mean, a an act of terrorism does not imply, you know, there's that's a separate issue of, you know, radical Islamic well, but, terrorism. You know, but just saying terrorism. Me, when I first heard, like, the, the London story, like, hitting pedestrians, do you remember, I don't know how long ago it was, feels like decades ago, where an old man plowed into a bunch of people at the Santa Monica farmer's market. which my understanding is that that was not an act of terrorism. That was an old guy who probably should not have been driving. Right. And and I remember him saying, people should have gotten out of my way. Um, I mean, that's just crazy old people. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, when you have a situation of people who get mowed down, you may not immediately know if we have, like, a deranged old man who's just right. right and look there are a lot of reasons why people Although, get stabbed I when mean, people in, jump in Orlando out of a this van week, we had we had a workplace shooting so you know that is not a terrorist act the way that we tend to think of them because that wasn't motivated by anything other than you know somebody being a disgruntled employee which you know it, it's a fine line but I, I felt like we were pretty confident that these were actual terrorist acts and not that I'm siding with President Trump on this, but that was the point he was trying to make, which is, well, first of all, he took information and synthesized you, it incorrectly. But did you see the AP's response to that? I did not. The AP put out a statement that said any information that that any information from the president, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, sure. sure, I don't know, so I'm sure somebody will correct me, but it said any information from Donald Trump is not reliable. Any information about Donald Trump about world events is not reliable. We won't publish X, Y, and Z. It was like something about that, that happened in real yeah. time, and the AP came out and was like, "We cannot publish what the president is saying because, because we have higher, we have higher we've got standards. you know, and and, and yeah, the AP we is have just higher a, standards, but the AP is a wire yeah. service. But I mean, if you look at NBC, uh, CBS, Fox News, all those guys, obviously their journalistic, I mean, it's, it's standards are lower than the AP because they're not a wire service like AP and Reuters, but um, you would think that other news organizations would want to start vetting some of the stuff coming out of this world. Well, I think by putting up the actual tweet with his picture next to it where it says at real Donald Trump should let you know that you might be in the fake news zone, but I think a lot of people (laughs) don't necessarily take it that way. 
And back to the point I was trying to make, which is that the, you know, he was basically, he got upset that London's mayor was telling people, he was trying to tell people not to panic. And on the one hand, you know, that might be a time to not necessarily panic. Definitely don't just relax, which I don't think is, which, which actually I know is not what he said. You know, the idea of, you know, you don't want people running through the streets, which is the point you made about not saying that it's terrorism. So somewhere in there is a fine line, and uh, President Trump definitely came down way on the wrong side of the line. But somebody somewhere saying, like, you know, maybe be a little panicked. Don't freak out, but uh, be concerned. alert. Be very concerned. Vigilant. You know, I mean, people made fun of that the color-coded alert system we had, probably because people didn't understand it. But something like that is like, well, we've now been elevated and, but, and now we're yellow or orange. I don't know which one was worse. But if you so in the case of New York City, the whole see something, say something initiative that came out of Homeland Security that was, I believe, started by uh, Janet Napolitano when she was Homeland Security Secretary. Just that whole see something, say something um, uh, phrase that's that keeps you on your toes because you see it everywhere in New York subways if you see something say something but, I mean that's pretty scary in but it's not like scary in like a in like a way. threatening way it's like yeah there's a lot of stuff that goes on if you see something if you see a bag if you see a crazy person like you know I saw this lady coming from Las Vegas and she didn't look like she could make it like she she was drunk obviously but like sure. you know I'm seeing something I probably should be like she's not going to make it on this plane yeah. you know and so like but that's done in a way to alert people but it's not done in a way to scare people. And in my opinion, Republicans do a very good job of using scare tactics um, when it comes to national security issues. Now, somebody might argue that Democrats use scare tactics when it comes to social issues like, oh, you know, on, on, on LGBT rights, on, on, on pro-choice rights. Like, but at the same time, it's not helping the way that the Republicans do it is not helping people. The way the Democrats do it is helping a, a, a marginalized group. And I think that, you know, Republicans just, they don't get that terror. They don't get the definition of terrorism, at least in my opinion. They don't get that terrorism, by definition, is to cause panic. Yeah, no, I think you're, I definitely agree with that assumption that that's the definition of terrorism. And I think that's why you hear so many people on the right for so long beating the drum of the idea that it is radical Islamic terrorism because that's kind of all they're talking about. They're a lot less worried about Timothy McVeigh and, you know, the Unabomber, you know, very white guys, by the way. You know, these are not the kind of people that they're as concerned with. And I that's where President Trump feels like the travel ban is actually something that's going to help us. Um, he seems to be in an ever increasing minority on that, though, you know, and on the uh, travel ban, on the travel ban. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think people maybe are less excited about talking about it. But I, I, I think that there are some people who still really support it. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Even looking at the the chat going on, nobody's exactly spoken on the travel ban. But I get the feeling that some of those people uh, and they can tell me if they're uh, if I'm correct are people who staunchly support and the I, travel and, ban. and I and I'll just just point out somebody's uh, Jared in the chat room says 
just talking about importing more foreigners in, in terms of receiving refugees, um, uh, and they don't bother to work on assimilationist policies. Uh, America doesn't run on assimilationist policies because that's not what we do here. You know, we are a melting pot of different people, so we should not we should not be asking foreigners to come to the United States because there are no there there's nothing to like assimilate, assimilate into. into. Well, language, perhaps. language, yeah, yeah, I, but. But even even still, we like, do have them know a bit of our history. But even still, if you go across, but the, only if they want to become citizens. But yeah. if you go to other countries, I bet you, no, if American. Obviously, we know this. American goes to another country, and American does not know another language. But a foreigner comes here. Chances, I would say, maybe six out of the ten people who come to the United States, if they're coming from a foreign country, knows their their first language, and then they know English as well. So the other four people are going to have to, you know, uh, eventually learn how to do that. But Americans just are not taught in American schools. Yeah, we can go through three years of you know foreign foreign language class or whatever but we're not retaining that and it's not helping us because we're also not traveling as much as other countries do we don't have as much time off in terms of work as other countries do we don't have the money to travel because we're too busy worried about healthcare bills and stuff like that so yeah we're not use utilizing the tools that we would have learned in school so we cannot assimilate when we go overseas if that's the re- if that's the argument do americans do americans you know and that's the same question that i would ask people do should americans assimilate if you move to another country i think it would depend on what the expectations are of that country but, but i would some extent, I, I bet to some you, extent you should but i but bet you that the, that argument if you made that argument to, to some trump supporter or or Republican or conservative, whatever, who makes the argument that people should come over here to assimilate, could not wrap their head around an American citizen going across the world and assimilating to that country's language, norms, and, norms and, yeah, and practices. In fact, isn't that, that's probably why so many countries complain about American tourists, that, they, that we're just kind of loud and obnoxious and basically don't try and adopt any of their... Right, and they make it easy for us because they all know English already. So that that makes it a lot easier. And by the way, uh, to Drexel's point about six out of ten people coming from another country already knowing English when they come here, um, I'll I'll let everybody in the audience just guess where President Trump thinks that the other four come from (laughs) and the wall that will prevent them from actually coming here. You know what I saw today? An article that, like, a while ago I saw something similar, Vane. I can't believe he kind of picked it up. But a wall that had solar panels to help pay for it. Hmm. Hmm. Well, see, that's that's what President Trump should have done because then you're making the left, you know, come out against solar panels, which, you know, <laughs> is just... You know, where somebody, I don't know. I would have thought Steve Bannon was at least had that, that would level re- that of would smart. require Donald Trump after pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement to use solar panels as a as, to be invested in solar panels, which right. this but he's invested is not in it just for political purposes, right. not because he actually thinks they're important. Right. Uh, and uh, just to sort of tie up on the travel ban, uh, I was reading something interesting, and, and maybe our recovering attorney Chelsea could uh, shed a little light on this. Uh, There was this idea that President Trump could very well have hurt his case with the Supreme Court for having he had a series of, of course, early morning tweets. And he referred to the latest version of his temporary travel ban as, quote unquote, politically politically correct and calling for, quote unquote, a much tougher version. So it sort of makes it seem like even he doesn't support what's going to get in front of the Supreme Court. I mean, do they consider things like that? As I, a future Supreme Court justice, what do you think? <laughs> right. 
a, a Trump appointee. A president um, Hurd would, would appoint you. I would. I would. would Vice President Moore. <laughs> yeah, I like the sound of that. Um, I, I want to be communications think, director. I don't think well, these you already comments, got that, Toby Ziegler. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chelsea. I don't think that these comments will um, go into the Supreme Court's analysis because the reason that they used his sort of outside words, outside words meaning not words that were found exclusively in the executive order, but like what he said in the media and his tweets, was to try and discern the intent. Was there a discriminatory intent? Was this a discrimination against a certain religion, which you cannot discriminate against, right? So the these phrases might personally annoy the justices, like we're... Uh, if, if he says something insulting to them or, you know, the, but saying that the executive order is, is weak or that um, it's politically correct will not, I, I don't think, show up in the, the analysis. I don't think it's going to bother Clarence Thomas for sure. Uh, Although the, he, so he might surprise us. That's true. You don't know that one turn last a couple of weeks ago might just set his see, whole. But, yeah, but that <laughs> one was on a. Um, Oh, geez, why can't I even think of the term? Uh, affirmative action. Right. It, Which is something that Clarence Thomas has always been very consistent on. Right. So he didn't change. Right. The I, times I, changed. I, right. I will say uh, that in terms Drexel of... Drexel should replace spicy. That is the best <laughs> You know, I, th- I, thought, I thought I thought if, if, if it would be in Trump's best interest to hire liberals to run his comms team. That's true. I mean... <laughs> If he wants information to get out there, then, uh, you know, people that aren't going to put any spin on anything. Right. You know? Right. Um, But Spicer's problem, he's too polished. And uh, that's funny. I I like Drexel replacing Spicy more than I like Chelsea 2020. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And thank you for being concerned about having me age rapidly. (laughs) Um, But if you saw the just Donald Trump tweets about the travel ban, and shortly after all, you saw a whole bunch of people coming out. And being like, this is this is not going to help him out. But the one surprise person that came out on Twitter was Kellyanne Conway's husband. I saw and this. And he tweeted something about like, you know, I don't know why he would make these statements. This is obviously not going to help this, the Yeah, the SAB, I, it's pretty really much exactly right. what he said. And, yeah. uh, and he was up for what, like Solicitor General? Yeah. Um, and he had just dropped out like maybe a few days before. So, um, and then Kellyanne Conway, as he's tweeting that, is on TV giving <laughs> giving an interview on MSNBC. So I don't think she saw the tweet, but um, I yeah. cannot imagine being married to Kellyanne Conway. That would could you? Could I feel you, like she's a different person at home. Maybe. Yeah, oh, ha- haven't you but, all seen her stand up comedy routine from oh, the nineties? So she's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> Look, I mean, I do I do like uh, another comment or, or there was a question. The moment he referenced religion in the first executive order wasn't it by default a religious document so that is the reason that probably was taken why out. that the first one was pulled although well, trump now blames sessions for pulling it but that's sort of the the final sort of button on this is the fact that president trump has acknowledged that the u.s is already engaged in extreme vetting so that says to the supreme court well then why do you need this Mm-hmm. This is what you want is extreme. If your vetting is so extreme, mm-hmm. clearly it's going to be very efficient and you're going to keep out all the bad people anyway, all the bad hombres. But again, it's less about the principle. Like we talked about, we talked about this, uh, we talked about the Paris, uh, 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 the U S pulling out of the Paris climate agreement last week. It's less about the principle of this, of the, um, 
the document or whatever's behind it and more about the win or more about sticking it to somebody else. In terms of Paris Climate Agreement, it was more, it was less about the United States uh, interests and more about sticking it to Barack Obama. But because you, you can see that in the statement on the Muslim ban, it on the Muslim ban, it's more about I said this, I was going to do this in the campaign, and now I need to figure out ways to do it, whether or not it's legal or not. I'm going to find that it's it's more about the win than it is about the American people because Trump only wants to win, which is all he talked about during the campaign, which is about winning, and it's not about making smart policy. Right. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, and I do want to get to reality winner. But since the, uh, the pulling out of the uh, Paris Climate Accord came up, I just want to spend literally like two minutes on it. Personally, I'm not surprised that happened. I think all the indications were that President Trump is not you- going to be a big believer in that. And well, I just finished. My thought is very short. Uh, and then. When we do have a Democratic president again, it'll come back around. It's sort of like there's a lot of you know access to abortion laws that change very quickly when you have a Republican president and they get changed back. So I think that there's repercussions, but I do think this is the sort of thing where let's see how much damage can happen in some would say four years, some would say eight, uh, but until it changes. But what were you going to say? I was going to ask you if you remember what I said last week when we talked about what we think he was going to say. I remember saying that he's going to want to negotiate it, but I think I said he's not going to pull out. He's just going to want to renegotiate it. Right. So I think I got like a... You get partial credit there. Yeah. That's an there and another argument that we brought up just real quick on the Paris Climate sure. Agreement was that we saw, and this goes back to the argument of somebody in the communications department really should be spinning this in a way that, that benefits the president. Um, we saw 200 cities across the country um, and with like a dozen states uh, sign on to the Paris Climate Agreement. And in my head, if I was comms team or comms team for somebody who um, did not believe in the role of the federal government as it is a libertarian, whatever, I would say this is exactly what we wanted. We wanted the states to make the decision on what what worked for them. Um, and if I and 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 this is this is what happened. The domino effect is New York's doing it. This is doing it. These cities are uh, California's doing it, and they're making their own decision to do that. If Trump had come out there in the Rose Garden and said that, other than I was elected by the people of Pittsburgh and not Paris, yeah. if he would have made that argument to Republicans. People would have understood that. Republicans would have understood that. Rand Paul would have been like, absolutely. Paul Ryan, absolutely. Mitch McConnell, absolutely. This is exactly what the Republican line should be. But this communications team does not understand how to spin it like that. Well, they don't think they need to. Well, they should. That's a bigger problem. Here is one important thing that I'm going to suggest. I know that this is last week's news, but I'm going to suggest something totally and completely radical. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. That's not surprising. (laughs) <laughs> read the dang thing read okay it. that's it's the craziest thing even right now stop Listen, just no is, one reads anything it's 25 I told, pages I told, long I told, but it's like you can, you can blow it up to big font the language is pretty easy I think you'd probably need a 6th grade education to read the dang thing yeah it's not that long and you will see that all uh, many of the uh, reasons that it was so bad and terrible and, and I see poorly structured and Expensive and all that kind of stuff is just utter it's nonsense. It, it is confifi. Uh, well, we need to talk about a very important twenty-five-year-old federal contractor. Her name, <laughs> reality winner. She was charged with leaking information regarding a 2016 Russian military intelligence cyber attack, and that was given to the Intercept, an online news outlet. 
friends with Edward Snowden. Uh, she's a whistleblower, and she believes she's doing the right thing, mm. preserving, demo- de- preserving democracy, and she's shining a light on information the government doesn't want you to know. And yet, what most Americans aspire to live up to is not those actions, but her name. They would all love to be a reality winner. Could not believe that <laughs> that was her name. Done. Thank you. I know, I tripped Could over my own cleverness. Up. Yeah, and it's, you know, look, there's uh, details there of a Russian cyber attack on a U.S. voting software supplier. No evidence hacking votes, but information that is, you know, helpful to have out there. But I can see also that it's like people are going to draw a conclusion from that. And here's the thing, you know, you can feel however you want about Reality Winner and her ridiculous name. You can feel however you want about Edward Snowden. These are people who break the law, and Edward Snowden was able to you know, get, get away. Country, right. But uh, Reality Winner, uh, I guess, was only one of six people who ever printed the document, so it became very easy to figure out who had leaked it. And to her credit, she did own up to it. You know, I, I, personally, I would have lawyered up, but you know, uh, I think that uh, you know she's gonna she's gonna have to. I mean, she's already. I don't know exactly what's going to happen to her, but she had to know I don't that this think, was likely to happen. I think that she might have thought that Democrats would corral around her. And and we I mean, obviously this happened yesterday, so she might just I mean, we'll see the statements of Democrats over there. Tyranny? Oh my. <laughs> but it's like wow. try no, it's like tryanny, T R Y A N N Y. But, but yeah, it's oh, tyranny. If tyranny wants tyranny, to Skype in, right. tyranny can be a guest um, here. Anyway, yeah, but, your thought, but I think that when it comes to whistleblower laws, obviously this is a this is Donald Trump directing the FBI to go after whistleblowers as, right. as, as much as they could. Because I don't think the Obama administration would have acted like Edward Snowden was an exception. And, and obviously the president did not um, go after Edward Snowden as hard as he could have. Um, and and, and Edward, Edward Snowden, that information was, I, I think, something that probably the public should have known. Yes, yeah. obviously. That um, the, well, the, I was going to say one people were upset about, but also he... You know what I think about what we know from that specific leak. I guess is the best way right. to put it. But you know this, the, the idea of just how watched we are. Yeah. But this was also something that I think that obviously the public should watch because uh, in the past few uh, um, sessions in front of uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee, people have come out. James Comey's come out. General McMaster, uh, a couple other people have come out and said, "I don't believe that voting machines were were." Um, had an attempt. We we don't. We have not seen information that voting machines have been tampered with. Now, on one side, that could be not to. If they would have come out and said that, then people would have questioned not only the election but just the process of American voting in in general. On the other side, it's exposing the fact that these intelligence agencies did have this information that Russia was attempting to do something to voting machines um, days before the election. So. It's like, what would you rather hear? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's a good question. And I think that we haven't heard the last of Reality Winner, mostly because of the amazing name. Uh, we really only have about one minute, but because we have Drexel here on the panel, I wanted to uh, dive in on a topic of Bill Maher, who usually is uh, lauded and, and applauded for uh, things <laughs> he says. Uh, he is a comedian who probably is uh, very used to just saying pretty outrageous things that uh, you know people don't get too upset about. 
And I guess he felt like somehow he had license to use the N-word in a joke. And Drexel, since you're sitting here on this panel, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on, you know, especially because this is Bill Maher, who is someone who, who I, I watch, assume you watch his I show. I do. Yeah. I, I have not watched Bill Maher in a long time, however. But someone that you, I do, you I do, appreciate I do his appreci- presence and I his I appreciate commentary. the panel and, sure. and the panel commentary and stuff like that. Bill Maher, um, even though people think he's a liberal, he's actually a libertarian. Um, he's what? He's a libertarian. He's a libertarian, he's for libertarian, sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, huh. and, uh, and, and I think that... We talked about this on the last show, which was where's the line of where, where do where do political comedians where's their line? And I think that Bill Maher obviously crossed that line. Um, I don't think he was thinking. And whatever consequences, like you can say whatever you want to. Yeah, I am fine with you saying with whatever you want to. But you know, in the case of, but you really, if you're asking me, if you're asking me personally, how, yeah. If you're asking me personally, obviously, I thought it was pretty disgusting and in poor taste and I actually haven't watched the episode yet I've only seen little clips of it um, your friend Ben Sass or Ben Sass my, right. my 27 well, to 16 and again we thing. only have about a minute so the, the point being though that I think that you know even white comedians backstage at a comedy club might Bill have Mar said got, that Bill in that Mar context got too said com- it on air Bill Maher got too comfortable yeah. I mean he's had people he's at Cornell West he's friends with Cornell West he's friends with Nina Turner he's friends with uh, Van Jones he's friends with all these black people and he got he was sitting across from Ben's a Republican white a white Republican senator, yeah. and he thought to himself, "Self, I think this is a great idea for me to say right now," and just got way too comfortable in his skin. And whatever, and this just goes for anybody, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a conservative, whether anybody. At the end of the day, your words have consequences, and whatever happens, you just have to take that in stride. Yeah, and I think that he has taken the consequences, and HBO hasn't overreacted. And they, you know, it seems like he's going to be back on the air. And uh, I think owning up to making a stupid comment, I think, was really the key to this. And just oddly, and we'll wrap up after this, earlier that day I was doing a show and I I wanted to use that term that meant that I didn't even come close to saying it. And I was just like, well, you know, like Sam Jackson and Django Unchained, that guy, you know, <laughs> right. and and I think that you know, there's a way to say that without as without as a white guy using yeah, you the N word. You use a a visual that yeah. people can quite understand, and and yeah. uh, some but, people just don't get it. Yeah, and look, I understand why people on the right are upset because they're like, hey, he got away with it because he's a liberal. But that's the crazy thing because we talked about it again the swiftness with which liberals and conservatives came out against Kathy Griffin, with which they came out against Bill Maher, was swift. Yes. When a liberal screws up, liberals come out against them. I mean, Anderson Cooper was like right there. You know, and Anderson Cooper is Kathy's like right-hand yeah. man. But, you know, conservatives just don't do that. Well, on that note, we uh, will wrap up. Uh, special thanks to our friend Drexel Hurd. You're always welcome here, except for the times that we have like eight people. <laughs> so you're always welcome when there's space. I'll just come for... next door. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so at Drexel Hurd, at Chelsea Galicia, I'm at Christian DMZ. Don't forget the show. By the way, at Christian DMZ. I said my own Twitter wrong. Uh, don't forget the show is at Trump Report ABTV. We'll be back next Tuesday. Same Trump time, same Trump channel. Seven Pacific. On Tuesday, we'll see you all then. Thanks, everyone. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. 
To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, see you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.